Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You're about to listen to a Women in Tech Remix episode, where we present to you a curated selection of impactful clips from previous episodes that you may have missed. And be sure to follow the links in the show notes to listen to the full episodes. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Amanda Tice. I am the author of The New Mom Code, which is a transformational guidebook that helps mothers shatter unrealistic expectations and crush it at motherhood. I am currently based in Austin, Texas. I chose to become a mother. You know, um, my husband and I were trying to have a baby at the time that we did have a baby, but it was concerning for me because my, you know, bread and butter, the money that I make is based on my physical appearance. And obviously your body changes when you get pregnant and you do not know what it's going to look like when you cease to be pregnant. So, you know, there was that concern for me of, okay, well, what am I going to do after I have George? And is it going to be modeling? I mean, I also have to take into account my age. When I had George, I was, you know, 33 years old. So in the modeling world, 33 is very old. And then to try to jump back and work again in any sort of capacity was kind of an anomaly. The fact that I've been able to model for as long as I have, you know, relatively full time to the point where I can, you know, make a living doing it, I feel like is is unusual. So I feel very grateful for that. But it's also something I've worked very hard to maintain as well. But yeah, in terms of becoming a mom, it it really did shake me to my core. I think the one thing that people always want to plan in advance, right? And you just can't do that when you become a mom. You think, oh, pregnancy is going to be this way. Then I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to do this and I'm going to feel this way. But it totally is a whole different phenomenon than you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, one thing that I do talk about in my book is this anthropological phenomenon called matricense, which a lot of people don't even know what that is. No, and I don't the know web- what that is. The, yeah, and the Webster's Dictionary does not even uh, have a definition for it. But what it is, is Dana Raphael in 1973, she was an anthropologist, and she studied this, this term she coined, matricense. And what matricense is, is it's similar to the developmental push of adolescence. So as soon as a mother gets pregnant and has a baby, they go through a transition that is not only physical, but it's emotional and spiritual and psychological. And it completely changes the person that they are. 
And so people don't talk about this for whatever reason. This isn't something that's normally discussed, but it's something that does happen. And so I think, you know, part of the reason I chose to write this book and I wanted to write this book was because I felt like there's just not a lot of transparency about what motherhood entails. And there's a lot of, oh, congratulations, you're going to enter this, you know, new stage of your life and everything's going to be amazing. But people forget to mention the part of, well, you're actually going to be going through, like I said, a developmental push like adolescence, and you're going to become a completely different person just through the process of getting pregnant and having a child. You have to go through this and able to support a child because if your body didn't do certain things, you would not be able to, <laughs> to handle having a child. I mean, there, there, there are certain hormones that you have that keep you from basically losing your mind. I mean, you talk about your oxytocin levels go up when right. you are in the pregnancy phase because you have to bond with your child. And if they don't, then it's very easy to get postpartum depression. And there are all these things that happen that you would not yeah. expect or no one can prepare you for. So like I said before, it, it was, I tried as much as I could to, you know, have a handle on what I thought a working mother was going to be, but the reality <laughs> of what being a working mother is, is not the same. Is that what inspired you to write the book and remind everybody what the book title is and where to find it so they could all cyber stalk you while they're listening? Yes, please. Um, the name of the book is The New Mom Code shatter expectations and crush it at motherhood. You can find it now on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. Right now it's on pre-sale, but hopefully by the time this is released, it will be uh, available to purchase. Hi, this is Erin Staples and I am a community advocate at Orbit. Orbit is kind of like mission control for your community, so it's a good place for you to see the activities, the habits, all of that thing, that second brain for community builders to actually take actionable insights on things. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about social audio and Twitter spaces in general is there's a lot of pros and cons. I think we saw an explosion of Clubhouse and like the pandemic hit. I don't really think it's a for a platform that right now or like a mod, like a wave. It's go, it's not going anywhere. I think we've already seen it adopted discord was doing it before it was even a trend but it's kind of like a thing it's just a way of connecting with people in a new format live i dig it because you don't have to have the audio you don't have to have your video on so you don't right. have to like it's like a little more casual drop in drop out it does have some nuance behind it i actually published with a couple other community builders about a year two a year year and a half ago now um a guide to community moderation on social audio and just some things that we like hoped for in the future because it's a the tricky part is, is it is live. So you don't really have as much control or editing or you don't know what could happen. So it's kind of a wild, wild west in terms of moderation and content in some ways. So pros and, and cons. Do you both think they think slash even care about getting more followers from this or is it not about that? Like why do this hundred days? Is it only to build a habit or do you have those things? Like let's see if, how many followers we get. Let's see what kind of opportunities this attracts. Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. So we originally started, um, and Rosie and I, we've started a meme account this way is kind of a bet of like, LOL, 100 days of community, guess what we can do next? 100 days of audio, like Twitter spaces. Like, so it started totally as a joke and kind of like, you know, bet and see what happens. Then I think what happened next is like, 
how do you like lead into those ideas? We did notice that both of us got kind of significant followers from each of these Twitter spaces, which I want to reiterate, that was not the intention, you know, starting it was kind of more of an intention of just like exploring ideas with nuance, exploring new topics, sharing, trying to meet new people, trying to just see what's out there and also building the habit. But I think a curiosity got the cat and both of us like good shenanigans was kind of the original, original intention of it all. So yeah, it's been a kind of fun shenanigan to get into. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I can't wait to see what that turns into and I'll definitely be tweeting. Speaking of the pressure of having no video, we were talking about this before we started recording, is that you are my first guest in a long, long time. I've been podcasting for like, I think eight years now, if not more, that I have decided to stop doing video. Uh, When I first started podcasting, it was I mean, it's always been an audio-only podcast, but when I first started podcasting, there was no video technology, so I'd have to have cameras set up. And and sometimes I did something, sometimes I didn't, but it wasn't a thing. And then with the pandemic, and all my podcasts were in person, so I wasn't really thinking about it. And, you know, I was traveling around the world interviewing women in tech, and I didn't have a camera set up for, I'd probably say, 99% of the interviews. I didn't even think about it. I mean, I may have had a video camera on me, but it just, it wasn't wasn't a big deal. And then with the pandemic, it seems like we've all religiously subscribed to like Zoom video. And Mm -hmm. I've been finding that I've been really just worn out all the time, like energetically drained to the max to the point I'm just going to be super real, Aaron, where I'm like, do I want to quit? Like I'm like, tapped out. And I started reflecting. I'm like, is it podcasting that I'm tapped out on or is it just how I'm podcasting? And I'm like, I think it's the video. And so I'm like, you know what? I had a a conversation with my team. I was extremely scared, like telling my team, I was like, I don't think I can just not record video. And they're like, why not? And they were challenging me on it and stuff. And so you're the first one where I'm not recording video. I'm nervous. But we were talking, you and I were talking about before we started recording about feeling this need to like do things perfectly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's like every time there's always like, I always think about it. There's these like, this is your top 10 best practices. Or you see the YouTube videos, like this is how you, I've been debating like getting a Twitch stream going. Right. And so like, I've been trying yeah. to figure out and it's like, here's the process to have like your best. And I'm like, oh my God, this is overwhelming because if I don't follow the steps exactly to a T, And I know myself, like I will make a plan and then I will overthink and I will overthink and I will overthink. And then I won't actually do anything because I'm stuck in this phase of like, it's not good enough or it's not perfect enough. And it's interesting because I think one, that's like why I'm kind of stoked for some of these like live audio opportunities is because, and like, I personally like it because it offers opportunities like to do things a little differently. I'm scared as heck to like ever edit a podcast in my life. Mm. I find it, I have done it. It's overwhelming. I can't, there's no joy in that. And I think if our end goal is connection and intention and thinking through these things very mindfully, then do you really need video if you're being real? Hey everyone, this is Natalie Kogan, the founder and CEO of Happier Inc., which is a company dedicated to helping you struggle less and thrive more by practicing science-backed emotional fitness skills based outside of Boston. A lot of my work now, probably about, I don't know, 
I'd say half of my work is with leaders. I do a leadership um, training for women every year. It's virtual. I do this program. We call it Elevating Women Leaders, where I take women leaders on a year-long virtual program with me. I do a leadership program for everyone. And then my the other half of my work is I work with teams and companies, many really big companies, you know, like Google and Facebook and Dell and those guys. I'm in suspense, and you know Natalie. What? <laughs> I want you to tell your team that they're not quite right. I have met many leaders who lead with authenticity and openness in really huge companies, including men. I just want to say this because I think there is this, I don't know if I'm allowed to say bullshit, but I'm going to say it. Okay. There's this bullshit idea out there that men don't like embrace their emotions or don't want to be open or vulnerable. It's complete bullshit. I cannot tell you how many men entrepreneurs or leaders tell me like, I, I would love to be more open, but I feel like there's this expectation that I'm a guy and I shouldn't do it. So I have plenty of experience with leaders who lead really, really big teams in really, really big companies that who are open and authentic. And you can tell even before I meet them, I can tell it by, by their team members when I interact, because as you see in your team, what the leader does is reflected in everyone else, because for better or worse, as a leader, you set the tone. You know, it's really all goes back to kind of primal instincts and biology. If someone has a, the high position in a hierarchy, everyone else is going to look to that person for what's the acceptable norm, right? Because they don't want to be thrown out of the tribe right? We really are all, we just need to understand how tribal our instincts are. And so the leader really does have to set the tone, which is why in my experience, before I went through what I went through, I did not create an open culture. I did not have psychological safety on my team because I didn't model it. But there are many leaders that I've had the privilege of working with who do lead that way. It is possible. Is it possible, because I don't want to invade anyone's privacy, do you have any company that comes to mind that we can maybe explore in Cyberstock? Uh, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I'll tell you uh, a couple there. So I've done a lot of work with Capital One, which Get is um, out of town. an enormous company. First of all, I'm where, a Capital One user, so perfect example. Well, there you go. <laughs> I've done a lot of work with Capital One. And you know I'm not going to name their names because these sessions that I do with them are private. But um, this is a company where I was knocked off my chair with one of the male leaders of an enormous division started our, I was giving a talk on, you know, how to struggle less through challenges, opened up by talking about something incredibly vulnerable. And then basically, as I did the series of workshops with his team, they were like, this is how he is. It wasn't just for show for you. And this person manages, you know, 10,000 people. You know, he doesn't, like, it's a huge team. I can tell you that Dell has uh, leaders. We work a lot with the Dell finance side, the CFO organization that I've been blown away at their openness and warmth, not just vulnerability, but warmth. And so it is possible. I don't think it's about the size. I really do think it's about... Um, the leader doing the internal work to be able to do it. I think this is like one of my, you know, there's a whole chapter on leadership in my new book. Um, I have an article coming out about this in Harvard Business Review, where when we talk about leadership, including servant leadership, right? Like it's become a really catchy idea, like servant leadership.
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.